All right, how you doing everybody on this very happy Tuesday? It is Big Blue Kickoff Live, brought to you as always by Coors Light, right here on Giants.com. I am Russ Salzberg with my partner today, Paul Dettino, Brian Conforth at the controls. And as I say, it is a happy Tuesday. It is a long time coming. Uh, plain and simple, Paulie, um, when you're having trouble getting some wins, you want to win by any means necessary. Uh, the gods had worked against us the last couple of years with long, devastating last-second field goals. So this time it worked out, and um, it worked out in a positive way on a terrific debut for a young quarterback, Daniel Jones. And now you move forward, getting ready for the uh, Washington Redskins. Uh, and, you know, does one win change everything around? I don't know that, but I do know this. Wins make you feel good, especially when you've, have, have, you've had trouble getting them. So that being the case, uh, fans can come home. The Giants can come home to next week. And you know it's going to be a revved up MetLife Stadium. Well, for sure, it's against the divisional foe in the Washington Redskins, a team that just got whacked by the Chicago uh, Bears last night. In a, in a very disappointing and, and bad performance if you're a Redskins fan. They just looked horrible. Case Keenum, by the way, I'm told uh, this morning that uh, Jay Gruden said he is going to remain his starting quarterback this weekend against the Giants. So they're not making the move to Haskins, clearly because Haskins is not ready. And that's no surprise because nobody in their right mind would have thought that Haskins would have been pro-ready coming out of school. He'd right. only started for one year at Ohio State. It was one of the knocks against him that I certainly had. And uh, so I'm not surprised. They're going to stick with Keenum. And uh, we will see how it goes. But one thing for sure, Russ, I remember many years ago when I was playing youth sports, I remember a coach telling me, never apologize for a win. When you get one, you stick it in your back pocket and you move on to the next game. And that's exactly what the Giants need to do. Without question. Uh, You know, that goes back to Parcells or whatever. You you never apologize for a win. They have nothing to apologize for. I mean, if you look at the positives, it was a very, very tough first half. Very, very tough. You're down 28-10. I'll tell you what, being home watching the game, what really impressed me, you're down 28-10. to 10. And we had seen things that were positive from Daniel Jones in the first half, okay? Uh, 28-10, not being one of them, but that wasn't on Daniel Jones. But before they even stepped on the field in the second half, before they even stepped on the field, I saw Jones just chomping at the bit, anxious to get on as if to say, let's go. I mean, let, let's go get this done. And uh, I don't think it was a coincidence that that attitude helped, you know, get them scoring to start the second half off. I, I just thought it was, um, it was a very positive, I don't believe in the moral victories, but even had they lost that game, it would have been a very positive feeling coming out of it with Jones's performance. There's something that I want to bring to the attention. I know, I guess, is it John and Lance did the show yesterday? And I know Lance was back here doing the show, uh, the restaurant show from New York, the pre and post, and John's up in the booth with Bob. I'm on the sidelines mostly for all the road games, okay? Uh, and, And I get to see a lot of things down there that folks can't see because they're watching on TV, and there's so much that goes on downstairs and something that I want to make very clear the Giants bench was very unified throughout the day I never saw those guys get down even when it was 28 to 10 at halftime well I'm glad to hear you say that there was tremendous unity tremendous unity on the sideline guys talking each other up guys making sure that nobody else was going to get down understanding that they were in a deep hole and they could not let it get any better uh, worse or, or they were going to be in big trouble so, so guys were, were trying to pat each other on the back, trying to pick each other up, trying to find something that could spark a comeback. So what happens? They get that, that ball, and, and Ingram catches a 15-yard left square out, takes off down the sideline. Now, I want to say something here, folks, because it gets lost in the shuffle, and it shouldn't be. Darius Slayton made a block that sprung Ingram for that touchdown. If he does not make that block, Ingram has no chance to score. Actually, so it was slate for some reason. Maybe I got my eight my numbers crossed up for some. I thought it, uh, it was um, TJ. I thought it was TJ. It was Slayton. 
I thought it was Slayton. Okay, no, no, I'm, I'm not. I'll look at you. it again. I'll look at. Okay. I will look at it again. Um, I thought. I thought it was Slayton. My point is this, though. It's those things that don't show up in the box score that allow things to show up in the box score. The block that nobody sees, nobody notices, nobody talks about winds up resulting in a touchdown. And that score, that touchdown pass to Ingram was really the fuel that brought the Giants back into the game. No question about it. The entire bench erupted. Uh, When you get a chance, check that up. Uh, You're speaking of blocks that nobody was talking about. I didn't hear anybody talking about a blocked extra point by Dexter Lawrence. Because, mm-hmm. folks, if Dexter Lawrence doesn't block that extra point, you know what the score is at the end of regulation? 32-32. You know, it's the little things. Yeah. I, I mean. You're 100% so, correct, uh, Russ. Missing an extra point, shanking it or pulling it is one thing. He got up. And if you see it on a replay, he really got up big time. Dexter Lawrence did so you're right there was a lot of I I took a lot of energy out of the game a lot of positives Uh, I just thought the guys their mental aspect going into the game as an entire team was very good I'll tell you something else which we we haven't even addressed yet you're talking about a guy um, not arguably he's the best player on the team is, is Saquon Barkley Saquon Barkley goes down, and you saw the looks on all the faces of, uh, well, the helmets, whatever you want to say. Nobody, there was no sulking, oh, woe is me. And I love that about what I got to see because what are you going to do? You know, fans and the media, media is as is, is guilty as anybody with this. Well, what are you going to do? You, you know, oh, my God. Players don't take that attitude. Players take the attitude is next man up. Nobody's got to tell anybody on the Giants how important how important uh, Saquon Barkley is. Nobody's got to do that. They all know that. But at the same they don't have time to feel sorry for themselves. It, w- it was like yesterday uh, on the conference call that they do with the coach on Monday. Um, I'm listening to the conference call. First question to the head coach, to, to Pat Sherman is, well, uh, what kind of hit is it for you if Saquon's out for an extended period of time? Well, what the hell do you mean? What kind? Of course it's a hit. We know it's a hit. What do you want the coach to say? We're backing up the truck. Everybody's going to surrender. Coach said what he was supposed to say. We have faith in Wayne Gallman, Wayne Gallman and we have to move forward. Russ, Darius Slayton. Okay, it was Slayton. At the Buccaneers' 45-yard yes, line, it was. he takes on the corner. And, yeah, and no. let me tell you something. If Ingram cuts back, he's going to run into some traffic. Yeah. He's got to take a straight line down the sideline, and Slayton gets in the way of Hargraves, which allows Ingram to slip through just inside the white line as he takes off for the remaining 45 yards for the score. Well, Folks, I'm, I cannot say enough about Darius Slayton's impact on this game. He did have one drop early, but he also caught another big pass, and he also made this key block on the Ingram touchdown. Darius Slayton, he, this kid's going to be a player. Well, uh, l- listen to me. Uh, like you talk about a drop or something. The, the one thing that I got to like, uh, even a, a couple of passes that he just missed or what have you, um, I saw a guy who has the ability to get open, the, bil- the ability to make a big play. And I saw, you know, uh, that you just pointed out the block as well. Listen. They've been very enthused about Darius Slayton. He's had trouble getting healthy. Well, he got into the game last week, and mm-hmm. he made his presence felt. So there was, you know, um, obviously Daniel Jones was the story. We're not foolish, <laughs> you know. And yeah, well, but that's the stuff that's been talked about a billion right. times in the last forty-eight well, well, hours. Yeah, but it I wanted be. to bring something to light that maybe people haven't talked about. No. And you and you also with Dexter Lawrence is a really good uh, point we too. Was, we were talking yesterday. I said I was dumbfounded. That nobody asked the coach post game or yesterday on a conference call, how about Dexter Lawrence? Because, you know, everybody's been asking, nudging about Dexter. Well, is he a two down guy, three down guy? What's the deal? And this and that. Talk about Dexter Lawrence. I mean, that was a he, he, he's a big, of a he's man, a big man oh, anyway. Man. And you see how high he got up <laughs> to put his big mitt on that. Let me tell you something. Again, folks, it's 32 32. 
you know, at the end of uh, regulation. So, but, but as I was saying, huge play. You know, nobody asked about that. But you're asking a coach, well, what kind of hit is it? Well, of course it's a hit. You got to move forward. It's like they they asked the coach yesterday, and Evan Ingram was also asked the same thing on the conference calls. Uh, what was Eli's demeanor on the sideline? Like, if I'm the coach, I got to tell you this. Like, if I'm the coach, I would have said, well, I'll tell you what. I was kind of paying attention to what was going on in the field. I don't know what Eli was doing. Maybe he was scratching his butt. I mean, how silly can you be? Yeah. And, and you're asking the same kind of question to Evan Ingram. For crying out loud, Evan Ingram's playing in the game. It's just... It boggles the mind sometimes. I mean, there was there was so many good things coming out of that. Was it perfect? No. As Pat Shermer said, things need to be fixed. And certainly that first half was like, you know, if you watched that first half, you felt like you were on a uh, two-day drinking bender, you know. Uh, but they regrouped. They came back from a 28-10 deficit on the road with their best player out and the rookie quarterback at the helm. That's a pretty big win. Pretty big performance. Now, I w and, and listen, that defense of Tampa Bay is pretty good. Yeah. yeah I, I, Under normal circumstances, I didn't think Todd Bowles called a very good game, especially in the second half hmm. and in the fourth quarter. I, I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't think, even though they had five sacks and Barrett oh had four God. himself, he certainly gave Nate Solder a very difficult yes, afternoon. Uh, I, I Look, do you know on the last drive, the Buccaneers went with a standard four-man rush on every single play of the game-winning scoring drive? They did not send a fifth or sixth guy once. I don't understand why they didn't, quite frankly. And I also don't understand why they played man defense on the fourth and five at the seven. Because when you play man defense and don't get the pass rush that you need with four... That allows a running quarterback a gaping hole to run for a touchdown. Yeah, I, I will say this. It was, I, I'll that, be honest, I hole, did not understand the calls that the Buccaneers made at all. That hole was so wide. You, Dexter Lawrence could have run through it. You or I could have run through it. I mean, both of us together. <laughs> no, really, that, that was uh, wide open territory. Wide open territory. So, you know, they, they were, you know, uh, again, Jameis Winston, how many Sundays has he put four good quarters in a row together? Very, very right. rarely. Okay, so so the Giants needed this win. They got this win. That game that they put on tape last week, okay, that's going to beat X number of teams in the NFL, but it's not going to beat the better teams in the league. Okay, it may be enough if they play exactly that way again. It may be enough to beat the Redskins because, as I've said all along, the Redskins are the fourth best team in the division. I felt that way from the beginning. I still feel that way. So maybe that's good enough to beat the Redskins. But the tape they put on the field in Tampa Bay, that's not going to beat the Vikings. It's certainly not going to beat the Patriots in Foxborough. So this, this team must build on this and must kind of collect and stack good performances so that by the time they play some of these better teams, they are more competitive. Yeah, uh, no, I, I would agree with that. The only thing that I would say, and I, I would say it to people before we op open up the phone lines, which again, as always, folks, remains 201-939-4513. I'm going to say this. Uh, you, you're talking about this team, when, when you look at this team, when we look at it at the end of the season, okay, and we're, we're just going into game four, okay, if, if we look at the team, and you and I both said, you know, wishful thinking would have been nice to say we weren't expecting 4-0 and and 3-1 and would have been nice, but realistically, we thought 2-2 two and two would have been fine at the end of and one you know quarter. What? That's and, still in play. And, and it's still in play. But to me, the most important thing is not the record this season, and I know fans don't want to hear that, and probably the media doesn't want to hear it either, but the truth of the matter is it's not the record but it's how the teams are improving, how they're moving, how, not teams, how the Giants are moving forward. Are they improving? You, I, you know who taught me that? 
the man who drafted Eli Manning, Ernie Acorsi. Mm -hmm. er Ernie told me, he gave me a couple of instances, and, and I, this a while ago, but he gave me a couple of instances. He said, you know, Russ, Chuck Knoll's first year with the Steelers, they were one and 13. That's when it was a 14 game season. He says, but Russ, after like five games, they were a pain in everybody's, you know what? And nobody, <laughs> and nobody wanted to play them. And he, he brought out another point. He says, you know, in Walsh's first year, they were two and 14, the Niners. And believe me, by game six, nobody wanted to deal with them. Mm -hmm. it, it's, you have to see the improvement. If we're seeing improvement, listen, we all want W's. These two guys here want a W this Sunday as much as you do, okay? But, you know, you, you're, not, uh, you're not facing uh, the Super Bowl champion Redskins. These are a di different Redskins team. But the bottom line is you got to play who's on the schedule. But as long as we continue to see improvement, that's the mark of how you're going to measure this season anyway. You know, that's the way I'm, I'm seeing it. Let's open up the phone lines, uh, Paulie. 201-939-4513. Let's check in with Ralph in the Bronx. Hey, Ralph. How you doing? Hey, hey guys. How you doing? Love, pleasure talking to you both. Hi. Uh, Paulie Dodd, I got to meet you at the training camp this year. You're such a great guy. I appreciate that. Thank you for coming out. It's always a fun time. Yeah, um, so my, my point is, uh, you know, everybody's bringing up Dan uh, Daniel Jones and every right they have. He played a great game. But to me... The impact of the four rookies on the field were really, really huge. I mean, Dexter Lawrence, I thought, had his best game. Yeah. Just, you know, the sack was great, but the pressure that he was bringing up the middle that was forcing the Golden Sacks, the Golden Sacks, and the, and the, and the Zimenez sack, that was all because he pushed the pocket. Yeah. People mm -hmm. don't want to talk about that. And then I thought Dexter, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Baker had his best game as a corner because I he think did. finally Dexter said, you know what? You're a press man. Play your man, and, and I just feel that that's more. He's more comfortable on his man, and not ten yards, and be waiting for him to come up and mm -hmm. then make a decision. That's why I think Baker gets in trouble when he's backpedaling. I think when he's a bump and run, I think when he gets his steps going, uh, he, he can stay with anybody. That was a real pa uh, offensive pass in the first. It was the rest are horrible. They're going to no even doubt about it. Right way I'm not. with you on that yeah, one. Yeah, you, that's a good good point by you, Ralph. Yep. And keep then, keep uh, going. There's Connelly, more. I think. Connelly for Older Tree as a play caller. I mean, don't get me wrong. Older Tree is a great captain and a great football player, but the kid for taking over the play calling with the green dot on his helmet, I thought did a phenomenal job in the second half. Yes, keep phenomenal going. Phenomenal job. Keep going. You know what, Ralph? <laughs> I'll tell you what. You're measuring all good points, making all good points. Uh, yeah. The top gun certainly was your quarterback, but a lot of the young guys stepped up. And you know what? I'm glad you mentioned. Let him keep going. No, no, I, but I'm glad he mentioned DeAndre Baker because, as we know, DeAndre had a rough couple of first two games. And, exactly. And he stepped up. What else you got there, Ralph? I mean, and, and you know, Paul, you, 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 made, you hit it right on the head with Darius Slayton. I mean, he brings that element of speed. But that block to open up Evan Ingram, people could talk about different plays in the game. That was a huge play. The other huge play was Michael Thomas' tackle on that no doubt. two. I no mean, doubt. That reminded me of Antonio Pierce breaking through the three three linemen to stop that screenplay in Green Bay. That was humongous. I mean, Michael Thomas doesn't get enough credit. I think he, he plays where the coach puts him, and he you know he gets beat a couple times, but he gives 120% effort, and, he, and that's just contagious. You he, know. He, he, uh, thank you for the call, Ralph, but Michael Thomas, you know what? He's like an old, the old, remember the old Timex commercial? Takes a licking but keeps on ticking. <laughs> no, I mean, he's that, and he's a very bright guy. He's a very bright football player. Listen, that stop, without his stop, talk about little plays, not little plays, but eight plays, different plays. Well, that Michael, gets him the ball back. There's no, there's no chance to win the game if he doesn't get the, the ball back. The game-winning drive doesn't happen. Without question. Without, without that hit. And, and he mentioned very quickly in passing, I don't want to let it go, uh, O'Shane Zimenez with the sack. Four tackles, tackle for a loss. I mean, that's six rookies. Yeah. Contributed wow. a significant play to that victory. Well, that's what the Giants have to get. These rookies have to accelerate their development as quickly as possible and contribute as many big plays as soon as they possibly can. 
to allow the Giants to become a better team. Uh, you're right, but just remember one thing. It was the third game in a season. It wasn't the 13th game in a season where all of a sudden they well, had a good game. All right, so keep doing it. Yeah, 100%. Keep going, Russ. 100%. You're not going to give them this week off, are no, you? No, no, but I, I, I'm just saying where everybody goes nuts, you, you know, like, oh, my God, what the hell, what kind of draft picks it is, what kind is this? Well, you know, well, l listen, I got a big kick, and, and I, I tweeted it out. I think at the end of the first half or maybe in the third quarter uh, of the game. I hope everybody remembers when they're lining up to kiss um, Daniel Jones's, shall I say, derriere yeah. uh, uh, on Monday. Uh, they remember how this, those same people out there, and you know who you were, were roasting the Giants for picking Daniel Jones. And, you know, I'm, I'm reading the papers and it's all lovey-dovey and, and I'm hearing all this stuff from, wow, Daniel Jones. And everybody was roasting the Giants and what was Dave Gettleman thinking and, and this and that. And, well, you know what? Where, where are they now? You, you know where they are? they are now? They're on the bandwagon. That's where they are now. The big blue Daniel Jones bandwagon. 201-939-4513, the number. Again, you're watching Big Blue Kickoff Live here brought to you by... Coors Light. I want to remind you that uh, to enter, if you want to enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light, well, then you got to text VIP to 90464. That's VIP to 90464 for more details. Again, 201 939 4513, the number. Let's go to our buddy in Delaware, Coach Marvin. Hey, Coach, how you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing, Russ? Good, oh, good. Hey, doing? Coach. How you doing? Oh, uh, good to talk to you again. Yeah, good to see you guys out here today. Um, I um, Russ is kind of hitting it out the park today. Um, you're right. Uh, Daniel Jones, uh, and I talked to Paul about this. Uh, Daniel Jones wasn't my first pick. I don't know if most people wasn't, but uh, my apologies to the organization. They did a good job by picking him. I give up, uh, you know. I applaud them for the pick because uh, he's he's doing some good things, and um, and also with Russ, uh, I, I don't have high expectations for the team. Like uh, as you and Paul were saying, the rookies are playing. They played a lot better in the second half of the game um, Sunday, and I don't have high expectations. I just want to see them compete like they did uh, Sunday. You know, and, coach, uh, uh, coach Marv. I, look, you're a coach. So, so you tell me, for all the years you were coaching, listen, I don't know of any team or manager or whatever uh, in any sport who doesn't go into a game wanting to win or, or thinking we got a chance if this falls right or that falls right, even if you're up against it to win. But as a coach, you know, I don't care if it's kids or what, you can walk away with an L but if you're walking away with that L and you saw the improvement and knowing that things are getting better, you know, you're not satisfied, but you know there's progress being made. Am I correct? You're, co you're correct because, uh, well, I was dealing with kids. So my thing was um, I, had, I was trying to teach them that um, there was a saying, I think it was by Nike, I can't remember what it was, it, it came out with something about uh, winning is, uh, uh, wanting to win is not everything. I'm trying to remember. Uh, winning is not everything, but wanting to is. Mm -hmm. And the and that, and what that is is about competing. And that's what I would always want my kids to do. It was my job to come up with a couple of plays that can get them over the hump. But if they can compete, I was really proud of those kids that them giving their all and and having one goal, and that is trying to win a game. And that was the most important part of building the team and how to win together. And, um, and and you're right. I never put an emphasis on that winning is everything. As long as we competed and gave ourselves a chance, then uh, that's all you can ask of your team, uh, and that's all I ask of them. So I, I, I agree with you on uh, that. Uh, okay, um, Coach Marv, got anything else before we say goodbye? Yeah, real, real quick, I said to Paul, I said there was two things that was left on my list for Daniel Jones. He passed one this Sunday. That was to start a game and play like he did in the in the scrimmage. The last um, thing he has to do, I believe, and I believe I believe we do have something here. This guy, he he, he is something. 
The last thing he has to do is he has to play in a game where his name is the number one name on the defensive team's board, and that's going to be next week. Amen. That's going to be the week after that, and it's, and it's going to be in the Patriots game. If he performs in against Washington, against the Vikings defense, and the Patriots defense, he has it. Whatever it is, I believe well, he has it. You just remember this, though, Coach Marv, and, and thanks very much for the call. Hey, uh, uh, Russ, I have one more question for you and Paul to answer. Okay, but let me, let, me, uh, let me just say this to you, though, in, in what you're saying. Like, like I had said, and Paul and I had discussed this, uh, I, I had said, listen, preseason, they don't game plan for you. And I spoke to the, Pat Shermer about it going into the game. They don't game plan for you in preseason, and, and Daniel had a great uh, preseason. But right. you knew the Bucks were going to game plan for him then. But now opposing teams are going to be game planning for him even more so. And remember... They're also going to be game planning for him, knowing that his main point of artillery is Saquon, who's not going to be there. So, yeah, I mean, he's up against a huge test. I don't care if he's playing against the little sisters of the poor. You know, his best player is not with him. And, but I think he's up to the challenge. Coach Marvin, I'm going to add one thing here, too. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sure. Um, my, I, I called yesterday, and I gave an analogy of the defense uh, on um, Sunday. I thought they played, they played decent, but not good enough in the first half. And I believe that Daniel Jones gave them a little bit of, you can call it whatever you want, juice or something that spunked them up. Once he threw the touchdown in the first, in the, in the first possession in the second half, I believe that lived up that team defensively, special teams, offensively. I think it gave them something because I believe in emotions in this game that comes out of people. And I was trying to say yesterday that they gave the, they gave them a little more energy and they played a little more harder in the second half than they did in the first half. Well, some impact on twenty eight. And I don't know if you guys believe that, Coach Marvin. Like I was on the bench and I said earlier in the show I'd like you to rewind it on the archive. Really, there's no question that the Ingram touchdown provided a stick of dynamite. It wasn't just a spark. It was a stick of dynamite. And motivation. To, to get that team going. It wasn't Daniel Jones throwing that touchdown pass. It was Ingram sprinting 50 yards on a 75-yard pass and run. He looked like he was did shot it. out of a cannon. I, t- I told Evan after the game, I'd never seen you run so fast. Uh, no, he looked like he came out of starting blocks. And, and, and in all honesty, it was a simple 15-yard pass, and, and Ingram was wide open. It was Ingram who made that play with help from Darius Slayton throwing the key block. Otherwise, that play gets stopped at the Buccaneers 45, and and it's not the the firecracker or the stick of dynamite that the Giants needed to spark themselves. So let, you know, give credit where it's due. I I really want to go to Ingram and Slayton on that. They're the guys who lit the fire under the team. I don't think you get any argument from Coach or me or anybody on that. I I, I think, but I understand Coach's point. Uh, Spark, whatever, I, I just think... Listen, you just got your ears pinned back in, in the first, you, you know, you got smacked around. You were 28-10 in the first half, and, you know, defense was getting chewed up. So now you have your offense take it, get, get seven points back right away, and all of a sudden, hmm, no way to, not seven points, eight points. Yeah. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden, instead of down 18, you're down ten, uh, 10, and now the defense looks at each other, well, you know what? Okay, we're not in a hole, and we well, we got to help these guys now. I get that. Yeah, that's a good point, Coach. You know, you know, Jones and Shepard deserve credit because after that touchdown, they connect on the two-point conversion. And to be perfectly honest with you, how deflating would it have been if the Giants had failed on that two-point conversion after scoring the touchdown? Um, that would have been that would have been a hit. I don't know if it would have been deflating. It, it, it would have been a hit. But, it would have taken some of the emotion out of it because after they got the two, now they were really erupting. Well, it's just, a well, just the well because now it just lifts you again. Exactly. You know, one more step. No, and I got, I wouldn't argue with that. Let's go to uh, Jeff in Rhode Island. Jeff, how are we doing today? Hey, good afternoon, guys. How are you doing today? Hi. It was a uh, big well done for uh, David Jones Sunday. He did a really nice Daniel, job. Daniel Jones. Yeah. Daniel Jones. Uh, we, I guess, yeah, Daniel Jones. We haven't we haven't had a quarterback with legs like that since Fran Tarkenton was around here. But um, you know, Phil Sims is, could uh, run pretty good when he was a kid too. You know, 
Just remember, yeah. when Phil was a rookie, he was running around pretty good. Um, my question is... Uh, Haas ran pretty game, good, too. Go ahead. Yeah, after the game, I was trying to think back and remember if there had ever been any giant quarterback in any game to uh, run for two TDs and pass for two TDs, and I couldn't remember anybody. I don't know if you guys know off the top of wow. your head, but if not, you could look it up. Uh, you know what? I'll I'll do some investigation on that. I don't know that that's ever happened. It wouldn't yeah. shock. It, no, it wouldn't shock me. me. It wouldn't shock. It wouldn't would, shock, shock me. me. I mean, Tarkenton certainly could, was capable of doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to be yeah. honest with you, also quarterback sneaks. I I, I wouldn't yeah. be shocked in something with sneaks, like that. Sneaks uh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I go back to like '67, so I don't know a whole lot prior to that time, but that, it's possible it could have happened. But I just thought I'd throw it out. That's there. a good you point, know, though. I, I it's know, interesting, so. and I will I will definitely check yeah, on it. Maybe Joe Pasachek. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> Joe had enough trouble getting okay. the offense into the end zone once a game. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Have a good day. All right, Jeff. Thank you. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three is the number. Let's go to Oakland and check in with Mike. Is this uh, Oakland, Cal, or Oakland, New Jersey, Mike? Oakland, California. Okay, how you good doing? Good morning. Today? Good morning to you. Yeah, yeah. Good morning. Hey, you know, uh, I'm I'm enjoying the heck out of that victory. Um, Daniel Jones, I thought had the best, you know, rookie first game I've ever seen. And you know, from what we saw in preseason, what we what we've been hearing about him, um, I was expecting big things. But you know, that was that was just a heck of a lot of fun to watch. So. I just wanted to ask you a couple questions, but first I want to make a comment. You know, you guys were talking about Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton and the impact they had on the game, and, you know, I couldn't agree more because, you know, the beginning of the year I had, you know, my five top receivers were Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, Corey Coleman, Cody Latimer, and Darius Slayton. And by the second game, you know, Eli had zero of our top five receivers and you know that's you're right these guys just coming back they made a huge difference well that, no dispute and once golden tate's back that's going to be another huge difference no but mike very fair point but for, for what, yeah. what you, you know again you know you're alluding to it and and nobody was saying the owen two was eli's fault okay the coach right. viewed stuff on tape as coaches do, and coaches can see things that you, me, and, and a lot of other people can't see. Even though a lot of people think they know, they don't. And he made the decision. And if you look at the game, hey, nobody loves Eli more than I do. Okay, I'm I'm a huge Eli fan. I, I've me too. W- watched him for 16 years, seen him damn near every day uh, during the football season, but. There were plays that you saw in that game that Eli would not have been able to make. And you know what? Yeah, he, he I sure w- can't run like that. No, and, and I was happy because that was a very difficult decision and an unpopular decision for Pat Shermer to make. And he made it, and he had the backing of his general manager and his owner. And, you, you know, that's the mark to me of a good leader is, is having the guts to make the unpopular call, not worried about the heat that you're going to take. And he made the unpopular call, and it paid dividends. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and as much as I love Eli, and, you know, you cannot spell elite without Eli, and uh, my favorite quarterback of all time. But, you know, it's I, I just think they looked at the prospects of the team, and he made the move, and I, I can't argue with it. Mm-hmm. And um, I just hope that, you know, Eli finishes with the team and maybe coaches with it, whatever. I just, I, I don't really want to see him playing on anybody else's uh, team, but I will also say this. He doesn't owe me anything. If he decides he wants to go somewhere and play football, I'm not going to at all hold that against him. He should do whatever makes him happy. Mike, but I did want to ask you guys about two things. Go ahead. I'm sorry, do you want no, to say no, something no, about that? No, you, you, you said that very well. We, we were talking about that last week. Whatever Eli wants to do, it's not up to Mike, you, it's not up to me, Russ, it's not up to Paul, the media, or any of the fans, or even the Giants. What, my, what he wants to do, what Eli wants to do, he has earned the right to do what's best for Absolutely. Eli, his wife, and Yeah, kids. what does he owe me? Right. <laughs> he's, he's given us everything. Okay? He's, he's, he's put it all out there. Go ahead, ask what you want. 
because we've got to get to All the right, call. So there, there, there are two things that um, you know I'm kind of looking for the future. One of them gives me a little concern about Pat Shermer's play call, and the other one is just about linebacker play. So let me give you them both. So the first thing is. Um, you know, going up against this team and this defense, they got uh, Vita Vea and Indomitian Sue as defensive tackles. So the interior of that line is its strength, right? And we knew that going into the game. So I, w- I was kind of would like to get your guys' input on why so many of Saquon Barkley's runs were right up the middle and why we weren't running sweeps and maybe, you know, other little plays that just try to get him outside of that outside of that log jam where he can use his speed. And I just felt, I kind of questioned whether or not, you know, that Pat decided we want to make runs up the middle and he just kind of just ignored uh, the strength of that team to do it. And that concerns me a little bit. And then the second thing I just want to ask you guys about is, you know, um, Alec Ogletree did not come cheap. And when he was brought in, you know, I had a lot of hopes for his play. But historically, I look at, you know, uh, a great middle linebacker and their ability to make the defense cohesive and coherent. And, and um, you know, I think about a few years ago when we brought John Beeson in, well, Beeson's body uh, didn't stand up to football anymore, unfortunately. But, but when he came in, like, he changed our defense substantially from day one. The run defense improved, I don't know, like, 10 slots in the rankings. And I remember just watching him, one great play. I wish I could remember the game, but it was a goal line stand. And um, before the snap, he, he totally saw what was happening. He went to his linebacker, sent him out wide, and the guy stopped like a, a receiver sweep, like on like the two yard line, prevented mm-hmm. the, the touchdown. And that was all John Beeson's like genius. And knowledge, and it, which made me think about, of course, Antonio Pierce, right? So, I just like right. I haven't seen it from um, from Alec Ogletree, and he's been here for two years, and so I, those are my two questions. One okay. is, you know, why keep running right up the middle when you know it's the strength uh, of defense? Uh, and number two, Ogletree. Thanks for the call, Mike. Appreciate it. Go ahead. Well, the strength of the Giants' run game is going to be between the tackles, Remmers and Solder would not be the type of run blockers Hernandez, Jalapio, and Zeitler would be. Those guys in the middle, the two guards in the center, that to me is the strength of where the Giants' power run game is located. The two tackles, they're more technique guys, technician guys, who are going to be holding up against the pass rush more than you're going to power and run behind them. Uh, So the Giants decided to go strength against strength and see if they could win that battle. The other thing you got to keep in mind, too, is that the Buccaneers, while they are stout in the middle, they've got a lot of speed and quickness on their defense. And when you run wide against a quick, speedy defense, you usually don't get very much. So they decided to go strength against strength and see if that was going to provide uh, the necessary impetus to get the run game going. Unfortunately for, for the Giants, it, it really did not. And now that Saquon is out of the lineup, you know, they got to go to Wayne Gallman and, and who knows who else. Because Coach did say yesterday, by the way, uh, he did think that there was a likelihood that they would bring another running back in. Yeah. Remember, Hilleman, the Rutgers product, is on the practice squad. I don't know if they want to put him in this position because the guy that they, they're going to pair with Gallman is probably going to play a significant amount of playing time. And the Giants are in a position where they need production immediately. I don't know, I don't know if that's too big of a nut for Hillman to, to, to chew on right away. That's a lot to ask. Yeah, no, well, I don't... If you bring in a guy off the practice squad, yeah, it, it's a heck of a lot to ask. I don't know if, if they would be giving him that much... You know, you know, I mean, there are some the, veterans out there, you yeah. know, and, and C.J. Anderson's one of them. Spencer Ware's another. Yeah. I don't know exactly how he's coming back from his injury. They were anticipating around the league that this would be about the time he'd be ready to go. That's a guy who's out there. Mm. Alfred Morris is out there. You know, Jack Craig Rogers is out there. Um, Doug Martin is out there. There are a number of veteran running backs in this league who have done something, who are on the street right now. Of course, what kind of condition and shape are they well, in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you, you know, and again, then you're talking about cost and everything else. Cost, so, so understanding it, the system. They've got to be really alert and football astute. And, and it's also, I mean, we haven't, 
we haven't gotten a definitive one way or the other on, you know, everybody's speculating. I, you know, everybody's spec. well, it's going to be this amount of time or that amount of time Saquon's going to be out. Until I hear it from the people within the Giants organization. I, well, that, when Coach says they got, they likely got to bring in a running back, yeah, you know it's not going to be this. He, no, he's not playing not this week. Well, no. You know, <laughs> I, I and he did I, say I, it was a high ankle sprain. Yeah, so Russ, so the high I, ankle sprain's at least four weeks. Correct. So, okay. So you, you need know. somebody to help out Goldman for a month. Yeah. He can't do it by himself. No, without question. Let's go to New Mexico and check in with Scott. Hello, Scott. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Good. Hi. Uh, I'm interested in wins and losses, not how competitive the team is. I agree with you, Russ. I think that's a good benchmark. But I, I think the Giants are poised in a way, and I, I think they can rally around the kind of performance that Daniel Jones had and use that as a sort of a spearhead as they move forward. And if the play of the uh, rookies are getting better as we go from game to game, why is it so implausible that they could not beat a team like, say, Minnesota? I, I assume well, they're going to be Washington, but but, but, but hold on a said, se- Scott, hold on a second. Nobody's sure. saying that they can't beat a te- team like Minnesota. I, I simply said it's a taller order. Yeah, yeah, That's but, all. Uh, I, Doesn't I, mean they I, can't I, be beaten. And, and I, right. I, I simply said, you know, it wasn't that you don't care about W's. Uh, I, th- that's not what I said. I said when you're measuring this kind of team and the progress of this team, right. it's not necessarily measured in W's. It's measured in the progress that they're coming forth with each game. Scott, to no, build off of your point, and I want to uh-huh. make this very clear because I, I, sure. I said this in the spring. If the Giants can get this rookie class to produce like the 2007 rookie class did, they've got a chance to sniff the playoffs. Because because you need those guys to give you as much as they can, as quickly as they can, as consistently as they can. The Giants aren't good enough. They're not deep enough at all the different positions without getting those guys to give them immediate production. It's, it, it, it's really that simple. If the rookie class can't give them significant snaps now... They're, they're, they're going to be another year away. It's just that, right. that simple. Right, I concur on that point, but I'm seeing progress moving forward. Uh, but my main point is this, and I'll be glad to hear your perspectives, both of you. I don't know if you were at the game or not. But sure, if you if you remember the the play that Tampa Bay had uh, with Mike Evans towards the end of the game when he beat Janoris Jenkins, yeah. If you notice the pattern, it was a post. Uh, he he had gone about three yards and raised his hand. He was already open three yards into the route, and this is something that I don't quite understand. And having been at the game, maybe you could explain it to me. Normally, you would get shadow coverage from the safeties. Was that? called or were the safeties just meandering someplace else because it didn't make any sense to me because what Mike Evans had done in the beginning of the game that you would leave him out on an island with Janoris Jenkins who's what 5'11 I guess and Michael Evans is uh, 6'6 I guess and it reminded me of the play with Plaxico Burris and having a 5'9 guy on him in the Super Bowl and you know what the end result of that was. So I'm wondering why in three games, and I'll be glad to take your answers off the air, why James Betcher hasn't made uh, some significant changes so those kinds of plays don't happen because they seem to be mirroring each other from game to game. And I was just curious because that seems to be something that I'm concerned about uh, with the secondary. Why aren't the safety sort of shadowing these guys, especially on a play like that where it's towards the end of the game? And I was wondering if if you can give me an answer uh, to that question. All right. Thanks, guys. I'll take your answers off the air. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for the call. 201-939-4513, the number, folks. Go ahead, Paulie. Well, I'm I'm looking for the play. I'm guessing he means the final drive. Yeah, that's the play he's talking about. All right, I'm, I'm looking at it now. I'm going to look at the coach's tape because uh, I have access to that. So I'm going to take a look, and we will see exactly what was going on. I do know that Jack Rabbit was shadowing Evans most of the game. I mean, that's just, that's just the way they're playing it because he believes, and I see what he means. Okay, at about the Giants' 45-yard line, Evans raises his hand as he's streaking down the sideline because clearly he believes that he's got the step right. and he's going to beat Jenkins downfield. Okay, fine. Now let's look at, let's look at the, uh, the end zone shot as I get a look at this. So I'll try to decipher what I'm looking at. Okay. Yeah. The only possibility, if, Jen- if, if, if Jenkins was going to get help, 
it looks like the only guy who could have given him help on that play would have been Mike Thomas. Now, Michael Thomas was already over between the hash marks, and he was nowhere near that side of the field. So the question becomes, was Evans matched up one-on-one against Jenkins, and was Jenkins just supposed to do a better job? Because let's face it, throughout his career, he's been a cover corner. People have allowed him to take people on an island and try to contain them. That's what his reputation has been for years. Now, unfortunately, in this particular game, he got burned a lot. It was a rough game for Janoris. Maybe the call was, you still got to deal with him one-on-one and just stop the play. Or maybe, maybe someone like Michael Thomas was supposed to come over the top and help him out. I don't know yeah, the answer uh, to that, uh, but, uh, but certainly the way that the play transpired, Jenkins wound up having to deal with him one-on-one. And I'm, I'm sure, Scott, that uh, you know, Coach Petcher and, and everybody else is going to be looking at you know, that and how we got to make sure something like that. Uh, well, it's going to happen again. But it doesn't happen as frequently. Look, for as, most of his career, Jenkins yeah. has been one-on-one against yes, guys, and yes, many of those guys were bigger than him. Yeah, but but you, this, I mean, guy, this guy wasn't just big. He's a great receiver. I know he is, but Jenkins prides himself on being a top-flight right. corner. All right, let's go uh, Chris and Alamucci. Chris, how we doing? Hey, good. Thanks, Russ. Thanks, Paul. Just a couple, just a couple points. You know, I couldn't help but think, you know, with all the Daniel Jones talk, and what a fantastic job he did. You get, you get a... a, a good quarterback out of, out of college in, in these big schools, right? They get time in the pocket, you know? And then when they get to the NFL, you know, the rush is on them. They're not used to it. But then on the flip side, you get a guy like Jones, who's the total opposite, plays at Duke where Cutcliffe under center has to take two-step drops, get rid of the ball. Nobody really acknowledged his arm because he didn't even have time to throw too deep. And there he comes to the NFL. Nate Solder, yeah, had a bad game, but he had time in the pocket. And you know what? That was probably a breath of fresh air for this kid who's not even used to having the time to go through his progressions. <laughs> uh, you, you know what, Chris? I'll tell you something else, which you saw one thing uh, from, from Daniel that uh, Coach Cutcliffe uh, couldn't, wouldn't be able to teach Eli or uh, Daniel Jones when he had both. You can't teach toughness. You can't teach being able to get up off the mat when you get knocked down. And let me tell you something. If you watched, I'm not, which you did, Chris, right. he took some big-time hits. He did. I mean, there was one where it looked like his, his head snapped back. I th- oh, yeah. I thought maybe, I thought he, it might have been even like a concussion kind of thing. He got slammed down, pounded From on his back face. Side. Yes, sir. You know, yeah. you know so you, yeah. that, you, don't, you don't get taught that. You either have it or you don't, and Daniel Jones has it. Right, and the plays after that, he still hung in the pocket, and he his did. eyes were downfield, yeah. and he didn't feel he did. the rush even after that. You think a young guy, now he's going to feel it, he's going to be a little concerned, but no, his eyes were still da- downfield, and that was, that was fantastic. You to know, see. I mean, that's like a veteran. You know, that's yeah. not a guy, in, a rookie, one game that you'd expect that. You, you'd think it would be in his head at that point after taking a couple of those hits. I will not and, pretend um, to know what was being called because none of us can get inside the coach's uh, ears, ears uh, headset or the, the quarterback's helmet. But it seemed to me, as I watched the game, and and I did watch the coaches' films, it seemed to me that Daniel Jones only made one bad decision, throwing the ball the entire day. That was the pass over the middle into double coverage. That that should have been intercepted. Yep, you're right. I think that's the only really bad decision he made throwing the ball. And that says a lot for a guy who didn't have his star running back the entire second half and had to come back from 18 points down. That that is a huge box to check. No, for him. I, well, you just check in the box till I mean, Coach Shermer has said that till he's blue in the face, big blue in the face. We'll say that Daniel Jones has continued from the time he arrived to to this past game. He checked all the boxes, and we got to see it up close and personal. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three is the number. Let's go down to Tampa and check in with Rick. Hello, Rick. You're on with Russ and Paulie Dots. Hey, Russ. Hey, Paulie. Hi. Up? Okay. Uh, good. Good. Exciting game. And I have a couple of quick questions for you guys. For one, first off the bat, uh, with Barkley, if conservatively we get him back with six games left and we're still in contention, uh, that would be a good thing. And but until then. 
What do you see the Giants doing? I know you touched on it a little bit, but are you hearing anything? I mean, is uh, uh, would they possibly uh, do a trade, or do you think? Uh, I mean, they're just going to run with Gelman. I know they got to bring somebody else in. I heard who you said is out there, but who? What about a possible trade? I know I heard some rumblings that they signed a linebacker and that they have to pull a spot out. And I don't know, is there ever a chance that there would be a trade with Eli? I mean, is there, is, what are we going to do about the running back? Because I think it's very important going forward uh, for the team to have a uh, attack coming from the running back situation as well. So that's the first question. And I'll just ask you one more, and then I'll let you guys go. The other one is when uh, Golden Tate comes back uh, a week from now, who is going to sit out of the wide receiving team that really – played very well this week uh who's going to be the man out when he comes back so well who's going to be replacing our running back and who do you think it's going to be is it going to be a trade what do you uh talk down the ledge on that because i think we need it and i don't see it in gelman and um who's going to replace them in uh, well right now right, right okay rick thanks for the call right now it is wayne gallman it is Wayne Gallman. I mean, you know, coaches said they have confidence in Gallman. It is Wayne Gallman. What happens after that, we'll see. Now, as far as... Um, well, I listed a bunch of street right. fr- veteran free agents earlier at the running back position, if you didn't catch the show uh, 10 minutes ago. Personally, I think that Spencer Ware or C.J. Anderson, again, if Ware is healthy, he had had an ankle thing uh, about six weeks ago. We just got a, I just got a text. Remember our friend who used to call here uh, all the time, uh, Dylan? Oh, yeah, he wants to know about Orleans Darkler, yeah, yeah. who did not play in the league last year. Oh, so he, okay. So I, I, don't, I don't think he would be in play, to be quite frank with you. But, but I, you know, I, think, I think Spencer Ware... See, here's the thing. Coach Shermer said yesterday that it's not only important for his running backs to be able to run, he wants the guys to be able to pass pro, yes. and he wants the guys to be, to be able, able to catch. catch. He wants all three, okay? So to be honest with you, Spencer Ware, C.J. Anderson, and Jaquez Rogers are the three that fit that mold the best because they have all three facets. Alfred Morris doesn't do much catching out of the backfield, never did. Uh, Doug Martin, ditto. You know, th- those guys are, are, are much more of a one-dimensional runner uh, than, than the other fellas that I just mentioned. Uh, but those guys are out on the street. I'm not telling you that I know they're coming here. Right. Please don't misinterpret my comment. I'm simply telling you some of the guys who are street-free agents who have a resume in this league. We got another, uh, Paulie, uh, good point. Uh, Zach uh, texting, uh, hey, fellas, let's talk about the special team's performance throughout the last three games, specifically the punt coverage, which has been fantastic. Punt coverage has allowed 2.1 yards per return, fifth <laughs> best in the National Football League. Kickoff coverage, they have yet to allow a yard on kickoff returns because Rosas has been drilling the ball. Uh, so, you know. That, that kind of speaks for itself on his behalf. As far as offensively, Giants on punt return average, 15.8 per return, number one in the NFL, 21.5 on kickoff returns, tied for 13th in the NFL. Outside of the one Rosas miss on a field goal yeah. against Buffalo, uh, you would have a hard time finding fault with anything on these special teams no, right now. Zach, very good point. <laughs> that is an excellent, excellent point. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. Got to remind everybody before we got about seven minutes to go before we say goodbye. Big Blue Kickoff Live here, brought to you as always by Coors Light. If you want to enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Well, then you have to text VIP to 90464. That's 90464 for more details. Let's go down to Florida and check in with Jerry. Hello, Jerry. You're on with Russ and Paul. Okay, terrific, Russ and uh, Paul. I just wanted to say that I think you guys are absolutely right. Your analysis is right. But in effect, the Giants are currently defenseless, just as were the Dolphins under Marino at the end of his career. But... The Giants are a work in progress, and I look forward to a time that will be reminiscent of the defense that we had under LT, when I preferred watching the defense rather than watching Sims in the offense. But to be realistic, I'd like to see a decent, reliable defense. The offense does not just provide enthusiasm for the uh, defense. It provides rest time for the defense, and that counts more than anything else. 
the three and outs are not just discouraging for the defense, but it wears out the defense. The better the offense works, the better the defense will work. And that's what we're looking forward to. No question about that. But just let me just say one thing to you. And I get, you know, when you're talking about the defense in past years, let's not compare anybody's defense to the LT defense because, Paul, you you, got to start. You got to start with an LT. And, you know, LTs come along once in a lifetime, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Once in a lifetime. Let's go to Mike down in Virginia. Mike, how we doing? Mike. No fuss rest. It's been a while. What's up, Mike? Hi. How y'all doing? Good. Oh, good. How are you? Can't complain. Can't complain. Uh, On my way to a game now, I coach myself. I'm on my way to a game. Um, I I just wanted to touch a little bit on the – with the running back situation – uh, I, I wasn't on earlier. Why did we get rid of um, Paul Perkins? I was really high on Paul Perkins. I really enjoyed Me too. Uh, and watched how he runs. What happened? You, you, you're talking to two people who were huge fans of Paul. I, I mean, you, you, quite frankly, you're touching a, a soft spot with both of us. <laughs> no, but, but, but you, yeah. want, you, you, you want to know what? A really good guy. I admired the heck out of him, especially last year. Because he was mm-hmm. he, he was here in the building last year by his lonesome working out you, you know really doing it on his own uh, and then yeah. I was thrilled for him to make the team I just think Coach Shermer and you know powers to be viewed it as uh, they they not, decided you, you, yeah. that they were not going to activate three halfbacks yeah. every Sunday they were only going to activate two plus Elijah Penny. Right who can double as a halfback even though he's strictly a usually a fullback by trade. And so they decided yeah. that if the third halfback is going to be inactive every week, why do they need to keep him on the roster? And so in keeping two, they decided to keep Goldman over Perkins, who, by the way, was immediately claimed by the Detroit Lions, yeah. who then cut oh, C.J. Okay. Anderson. Okay. Yeah, oh, per- See, hey, I, let me tell I, you something. Yeah, I, I didn't, this I morning, Paul Perkins would be the perfect fit to be back here. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, yes, he, yes, he would. Yes, he of would. course he would. But the backfield. I get it. When he, when, he was, uh, when he happened to be thrown into the starting position, he did very well for what yeah, we had. I agree life. totally. He was caught in a numbers game, and it's unfortunate. But, but yeah. you, you know, Mike, yeah. you, can't, you can't look. You, you don't get do-overs, and guys, no, you, you let go. And, and listen, I was thrilled when he made the team, but as Paul said, when I saw him not suiting up for the first two games, I said, the future is not here. To, to me, they almost did him a favor, and I'm, I'm glad he hooked up with another team because he worked his butt off to be there. Thank you for the call, Mike. Appreciate it. Russ, before we go to the next call, one caller ago was asking about defense, and if there's one really bright spot on defense through the first three games, and it's getting brighter and brighter every week, is Marcus Golden. A couple of sacks again last week. Do you know right now, folks, and I just looked this up to confirm with the NFL – He's tied for ninth in the league with three sacks, but even more importantly, tied for sixth in the NFL with six hits on the quarterback. Marcus Golden has shown since that first game in Dallas where, you know, it was rusty and and really nobody did a lot of anything defensively. These last two weeks, Marcus Golden has become a pass rush factor. And Lord knows they need it. That's why they got him. They need it. Listen, you, you and I were hearing, well, where, where's Marcus Golden? Well, okay. We're, we're seeing something. We're seeing it now. Uh, we're seeing something uh, right I, now. It's. I didn't want to let that, let that no, go no, without you, notice. Listen, uh, Chris, down in Houston, we're going to take you, buddy, but we got two minutes, so you got to make it fast, my friend. Well, I'll make it quicker than that. Uh, thanks for taking my call, too. Uh, two, two real quick comments. Uh, as much as I love Daniel Jones, there's one thing that I'm not sold on until I see it. Do you think he has a shot at playing corner or free safety as well? <laughs> okay. The, 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 I'm glad you hung on for that. Thank you for the call, Chris. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, one other one other. Uh, all, right, all right. Go ahead. One other comment. Um, I got very emotional at the end of the game. Maybe it's the paisan in me. But the truth of the matter is, shame on all those that prejudge this poor kid, especially the ones over at Yankee Stadium. This guy's got out support. He motivated the team. I'm really excited about the future, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm very, very, for a long time, it's been a while, but I felt extremely proud. I'm flying up to this weekend's game. Oh, so good I'm for you. To it, but I felt proud. Good for you, Chris. Thank you for the call. Hey, you want to know what? Like, like you, <laughs> you heard me say it several times. 
Paul as well. I mean, where are they now? I, I mean, I, I laugh about it. They killed him when they drafted it. Then two games in to the season, you know, now it's like not two games into the season. I think it was two games into training, two days into training camp. Well, he should be the starter. Why is that? Right. I mean, guys, you can't have it both ways. But the one thing we do know now, the big blue bandwagon is overflowing with Daniel Jones supporters. And you know what? That's a good thing. You know, Shermer and, 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 and Dave Gettleman and John Mayer, they're not walking around with I told you so's because that's the business that they're in. And the business is, especially when you come into a team that needed some rebuilding, you needed the people to make some tough decisions. Tough decisions have been made, and now they're moving forward with a bright young future in Daniel Jones. All right, that is a wrap on today for our friend here, Brian Conforth, who's taking care of us with the controls. I am Russ Salzberg, along with my good buddy, Paulie Dots, Paul Dottino. Uh, always thank you for being part of Big Blue Kickoff Live here, brought to you by Coors Light on Giants.com. Until next time, bye-bye, so long, and farewell.